The reading is taken from Exodus chapter 31 and verses 1 to 11. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of craftsmanship. Moreover, I have appointed Oholiab, son of Hishamach, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. Also, I have given skill to all the craftsmen to make everything I have commanded you. The tent of meeting, the ark of the testament with the atonement cover on it, and all the other furnishings of the tent, the table and its articles, the pure gold stand, lampstand and all its accessories, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils, the basin with its stand, and also the woven garments, both the sacred garments for the Aaron, the priest, and the garments for his sons, whom they serve as priests, and the anointing oil and fragrant incense for the holy place. They are to make them just as I have commanded you. I've got one or two vivid memories of school times. And one of them, in my second year at Devonport High, it was an art class. And the teacher gave us the materials and all that and said, I want you to paint a picture of a tree. So we set to work on this. And he came round to look at it. And he stood and looked at mine. And he said, go and stand at that window and look out at a tree for the next, the rest of the lesson, because I don't think you've ever looked at one in your life. So maybe I'm not the best person to talk about creativity, <laughs> but art is not the only form of creativity, I'm glad to say. As I've said, we're, we're looking at our values, we've been working through them, and we've come to this one, playful creativity. And I want to say, first of all, God speaks in a variety of creative ways. I mean, let's not overlook the obvious to start with. God spoke in words. After Moses had come down from the mountain, Exodus 20, verse 1 says, and God spoke all these words. And you then get the Ten Commandments and all sorts of other laws and the instructions for building the tabernacle. And sometimes words are the simplest and clearest form of communication. But words can be playfully creative too, and we'll come back to that after we've looked at some of the other ways in which God speaks. I'm going to give you just one or two examples of each of these uh, different ways God speaks, and uh, you may be able to think of others afterwards. God speaks through nature. There's a flood... Noah 
and his family are saved and the animals are saved and after it's all over what does God say I will put a rainbow in the sky as a reminder of my covenant that was God's way of giving us a permanent reminder of his love his mercy and the fact that he will not destroy the earth by water again God speaks through nature God speaks through arts and crafts that's the passage that was read to us the people could have just stood in the desert and worshipped God but God has the craftsmen create an environment which will help people focus on his majesty his power his glory his love and so enhance this worship that's what this church building is about in all church buildings sometimes we criticize and we say oh it's terrible look at all that elaborate stuff they've done in the church we want something simple and yes we can get it wrong sometimes we can get it wrong at the other extreme by making it too simple but the idea is that the environment the arts and crafts around us inspire us encourage us give us visions of God the third commandment says we are not to make idols idols back in that time would have been some sort of representation of God and people bowed down and worshipped them and the excuse was oh well we're worshipping God through the idol well we don't make idols in that sense but it's a good reminder that we shouldn't make an idol of anything making an idol just means putting something before God and our building can be more important than God our ways of doing things can be more important than God the the songs that we sing or don't sing can be more important than God the version of the Bible that we use can be more important than uh, God anything can become an idol and creativity can become creative things can become idols that's the forbidden part but beyond that God is creative uses arts and crafts God uses music and dancing we have music quite often at Mutley we don't have dancing all that often but praise him with the sounding of the trumpet praise him with a harp and lyre praise him with a tambourine and dancing praise him with the strings and flute praise him with a clash of cymbals praise him with resounding cymbals let everything that has breath praise the Lord God speaks creatively through music and dancing and God speaks through drama the whole tabernacle temple worship was a huge dramatic act I I don't know how I'd react these days I mean we live in a different culture don't we but imagine you know you're coming along to church on Sunday and what we're actually doing up the front here is slaughtering an animal and holding up the blood and and doing things with it and all that kind of thing and it sounds repulsive to us but within the culture of the day here is something saying sin is serious it, blood must be shed for sin to be forgiven God is holy God is pure these were things that were being hammered at people through this drama of worship and all of it pointing towards the sacrifice to be made by Jesus the prophets sometimes acted out their messages I don't know if this this is a little hint for Nick for the next time he's preaching um, but what I like Ezekiel he was ordered by God to draw a picture of the city of Jerusalem 
on a clay tablet. Then he had to lay siege to the city by building ramps and using battering rams and using an iron pan to create a wall to show that the city was besieged. And next, he had to lie on his left side every day. I don't think he had to do it for 24 hours, but every day for 390 days, he had to lay on his left side. And that symbolized the period of sin of the tribes of Israel. And then he had to lie on his right side for 40 days to symbolize the sins of Judah. He was only allowed to eat very limited food. And it's far away from lunch for me to tell you this. Uh, And God said, I want you to cook it using human excrement as your fuel. Well, this was too much for Ezekiel. Whoa, God, no, I've never done anything unclean like that before. And God said, well, okay then, you can cook it on cow dung, which was actually the normal fuel of those days. And, you know, since reading this, I'm just wondering if we can solve some of our um, ecological problems by, you know, could we burn cow dung in our power stations? I don't know. I'll leave it to the experts. But you, you just imagine the impact this has. You know, there's this guy, and he, he's building a big model and acting out scenes, and he's lying on his side, and he's cooking basic meals and hardly eating anything. Drama, the drama of it, spoke to the people in a way that words would maybe not have done. And then coming back to words, God speaks through stories. We especially see this in the teaching of Jesus. I think some of Jesus' stories must have made people laugh. We don't think of them as being sort of comic stories. But I think, you know, when he's talking about this guy building his house on the sand, they know what's going to happen. It's funny. Um, And some of the other things that people did. And Jesus just creates a different atmosphere. He moves their emotions. Some of his stories shock them. Some of them make them laugh. Some of them, well, all of them, stick in the memory. It's funny, isn't it? Um, If you go away from a a talk, often what you can remember is the story that was told. There's something about it, and God uses stories creatively to get under the barriers that we set up and to make them stick in our memory. So God uses a variety of creative ways, and you can probably think of others and other examples. And so, because of that, God gives a variety of created gifts to all sorts of people. 300 years ago, there was a guy called Matthew Henry, and he wrote a commentary on the Bible. And he says this. I've left the book down here. Moses himself was learned in all the learning of the Egyptians. Nay, he was well acquainted with the words of God and the visions of the Almighty, but he knew not how to engrave or embroider. Hey, he had all sorts of positive things, all sorts of skills and qualifications, but actually, if you said to him, here's this cloth, embroider a robe for the priest, no. Here's this bronze and jewels, build the things for the tabernacle. No, because not everybody has the same skills. And God gives different skills 
to different people. When we think of gifts that God gives in the Bible, we usually think of places like Corinthians and Romans. So wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing spirits, tongues and interpretation, serving, healing, encouraging, generosity, showing mercy. That's a fair variety of gifts, and we often hear about them. But Exodus 31 reminds us of the practical, artistic, and craft gifts that God gives. And it's a significant passage, and I'll tell you why. Because these two people, whose names I'm not desperately sure how to pronounce, but Bezalel and Oholia, because they're named. Hey, apart from this and the parallel passage to it, they're not mentioned. They're just random, obscure things. It's, I mean, do you know the name of the uh, builders who built this building? We don't usually print things like that. But it was important. This was significant. God had gifted these men and called them. And their names are recorded to say, this is something important. Pay attention to it. And they couldn't do it all at their own, on their own. So, as we heard, God has... God says, I've given skill to all the craftsmen to make everything I've commanded you. And how did it all work out? Well, if you turn over a couple of chapters, and if you're looking for something to read in your Bible, actually, this is kind of stuff that we don't often read, but it's worth sitting down and looking at what God says about the tabernacle and how it got built and how it got used. And in in chapters... Um, 35 and 36, this begins to come out. Then Moses summoned Bezalel and Aholiah and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. They needed money and materials. And Moses said to the people, bring them along. And the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled craftsmen who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left their work and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because they already, what they already had was more than enough to do the work. Wouldn't that be a fabulous thing? If you could say at Mutley Baptist Church, we have more people willing to work and more people willing to give than we need. Wow. God gives gifts and abilities and resources to all sorts of people. Jesus picks up this theme in the parable of the talents. The word talent originally meant a weight of money. And because of Jesus' parable in the authorised version of the Bible, and that word talent being used, the word changed its meaning and came to the meaning that we have today, meaning an ability, a gift. Because that's what the parable is about. Use what God gives to serve God. God calls every single one of us to dedicate all that we have and all that we are to him and his work. So, what are my gifts and how am I going to use them? Or as a church, what are our gifts 
and how are we going to use them? Well, the simplest way to start is this. If you think you have a gift or a skill or a talent, offer to use it. There are slight problems here. I think way back, we um, used to stand up and say, we, we need more people to help with this, this, and this. And the first people to come forward were the people who couldn't do it. And that was very embarrassing. So we need to look at our gifts by talking to other people, by trying them out in simple ways. And, you know, maybe you need to be in the music group. On the other hand, you may be tone deaf. And that's probably a clue from God that you don't need to be in the music group. Um, the gift of sweeping the floor is as great a gift as the gift of preaching or healing or any other gift. The old hymn says, who sweeps a room as for thy laws makes that and the action fine. It's whatever gift we have, we try it out in a simple way. Talk to other people, see what they think. As a church, looking at the gifts among us is often a way of seeing the work that God is calling us to do. What does God want us to do? Well, what are the gifts that he's given us for doing it? They could build a tabernacle because God had given the gifts and the materials for that. We can do what? Well, we, we can set up a warm space because we've got people that can man it and people that can cook and people that can welcome. We can do this, that, and if there are new things coming up, look at the gifts that God gives because those will guide us into doing them. But we have to be careful with this. Some years back, I used to be quite involved with a scripture union training unit. And it was in the days when a radical change was happening in churches. A change which, as always, there were people who said, this is going to destroy the church. We were moving from midweek prayer and Bible study to... Home groups. Whoa, this was a huge change and a huge shock. And coming alongside it were all sorts of different ways of creative learning. And the Scripture Union Training Unit was very involved in this, and we did a lot of stuff about create, learning new ways other than just um, discussion. And I wrote some material for the church here for our home groups. And uh, it had a set of discussion questions like you traditionally have, but it also had all sorts of creative ways of exploring the passage. So we did this in our home groups, and when it was all over, we got the leaders together and said, well, how did it work? What did you think of it? And half of them said, oh, it was great. Oh, we, it, we really enjoyed doing it, and it opened up things that we'd never have thought before. It was fabulous. And the other half said, well, we did the proper Bible study questions, but we didn't bother with all the other stuff. Not everything suits everybody. There are people who are greatly inspired in worship by music and people who can't stand music. There are people who really love to hear a good sermon and people who can't concentrate for five minutes. There are people who can do arts and crafts things. There are people that like drama. There are people, it's all different ways for different people. And that's a message to those at the front 
those who lead to be careful on how we present stuff, but it's also a message to all of us to be tolerant. This may not be the bit that suits us, but maybe it's blessing other people as well. Back in the uh, 19th century, a lady called Frances Ridley Havergal was invited to visit the home of some friends. And of the ten people in that household, she knew that two of them were not yet Christians, and the others who were Christians were struggling with their faith. And before she went to that house, she prayed, Lord, make me a blessing to all ten people. And over the time she was there, everyone received some sort of help and encouragement. And on the evening before she left, the two young daughters of the household, who were the ones who weren't Christians, came and prayed and received Christ into their lives. And she was, well, a modern word would be gobsmacked. She, it was just amazing. She prayed, and God had used her, and God had blessed people through her, and God brought people to faith through her. And out of this experience, suddenly coming into her mind were the words of a hymn. And she wrote the hymn, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. And we're going to sing that hymn in just a moment. But as we sing it, let's just not just sing it as a hymn. Think of the words as you're singing it. They're dangerous words to sing. Because God might take us seriously when we say, I want to give my time, my talents, my money, my life to serving you. Let's be playfully creative by offering ourselves to God to do with whatever he wants, to use the gifts that he's given us to move us forward individually, to move us forward as a church, bringing blessing to others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us all gifts, all your people, that you call us all to serve you. Thank you for the 101 different ways in which we can serve. Give us joy in our service. Give us gratitude to one another. And Father, build this church through the gifts you give your people, through the power of your spirit working through us, that many will grow in their faith, all of us grow in our faith, and many will come to faith for the first time. Help us to be, make an impact on this community as we are playfully creative and as we live out all the other values that you've called us to. For Jesus' sake, amen.